Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Uh, Conversation Sundays is one of those planting and watering opportunities, and it's begun right here, right now, in your midst. So today, and for summertime only, we are opening up the Sunday service to live questions. And so uh, we'll have a mic here, and Patrick, will just raise your hand, and he'll come by, and he'd love to talk to you and, f- and, and field your question. If you like a more uh, ambiguous, ambiguous method of question asking, you can, you can jump on Facebook, uh, and then even uh, yet more discreet, there's a whole website set up for private questions, watermarkoc.com slash questions. We won't see your email. We won't see your name. Nothing. And that's a safe way to get in questions. Start thinking about it right now. Why are we starting a conversation? Well, first of all, that's our, that's our vision as a church. It's to build a generational community that flourishes in God conversations. And so uh, there are times when we're going to proclaim. I'm, I'm fixing to proclaim the good news right now from, from Scripture. And yet we also want to start a conversation right here live Sunday morning. And I'm Ben, by the way. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And, uh, and so we're doing it for summer, and we're doing it because it's a compelling way to invite a friend or family member into the conversation. I wonder if they've ever been to a church before where it was safe to ask questions right there in service. So it's a, it's a great way to engage with people. Questions about God, questions about the church, personal questions. Uh, Bucky made a crack about me and my wife and our nine children. Yes, our nine children. We do drive a bus-type vehicle. Uh, It's a 15-passenger. It's like a Marriott van. You may uh, picture that in your mind. And no, there are no more seats. I mean, there's one, okay? I can get one of your kids in there if you do need to carpool for VBS in August. But um, so you can ask personal questions. You know, what about marriage and parenting and friendship? It does not have to be related to the message today, or even to scripture. It could be about whatever's going on in your life. Again, that's watermarkoc.com slash questions. Or you just raise your hand. Be the first to go. Like last service is the first time someone raised their hand since we started last weekend, and it was awesome. It just, everyone else started asking questions. It was, it was way fun. So please join us in that. But that also means I got to keep my message to a limit, okay? So they said it couldn't be done, uh, that I could keep the message about 25 minutes and allow some time for questions. But we will try. I see my mom-in-law saying amen, 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 amen. And uh, God bless her for that. She's my greatest encouragement. Love my mom-in-law. Love you, mom. Y'all got to love your mom-in-law, okay? I don't care what kind of relationship, if it's on steady footing or not. You just, you got to love her. And she'll come around. She'll come around in time. Just kidding. I'm the one coming around. She's the one that's already there. Fabulous. Whatever questions we don't get, focus, Ben, focus. Whatever questions we don't get to, we're going to talk about in the conversational podcast. It's wherever you get your podcast, Watermark OC Church. We'll continue the questions. Um online. And even if you want more study, you're upset. Ben, well, I was hoping on Hebrews, like a deep dive into Hebrews. For example, there's a whole passage today, Hebrews 5 and 6, where we're going to be. It's straddled on both sides with this, this heady, mysterious, crazy conversation about a guy named Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Say Melchizedek. Weird and strange and mysterious. But it's really important to the author. They devote like three chapters to this person. We're going to talk about it in the podcast. So if you wanted more study and you didn't get it today, go to the podcast, all right? 
Here we are. We're in Hebrews. Get ready. Chapter 5 and 6. Get your Bibles ready. Chapters 5 and 6. This is a book about Christians in the ancient world, the first century, right after the time of Jesus, and they're struggling with their faith. Some of them may be even tempted to let go of their faith, to lose their faith. Already, does that sound like a pretty relatable topic? You guys ever been in a crisis? You ever been persecuted for your faith? You ever felt different than the cultural place where you live? There is a different culture here than what we're after in Scripture, and maybe even felt like you might lose your faith. Everyone wants to grow their faith. Everyone wants to mature in their faith, the opposite of kind of backsliding. And today's message is exactly about that. Today's message is called Practice is Perfect. Say, Practice is Perfect. But then say it with the italics on the is. Practice is perfect. You nailed it. Thank you. Because you've heard the off-quoted phrase, practice makes perfect. I disagree. I disagree. And the message today will hopefully prove that to you. Practice is perfect. It's the journey. It's the process. It's the struggle even that produces something in us that's like maturity. We've got to stop focusing on the outcomes. Stop focusing on the end of the road. And we embrace practice. Five, six days a week we practice. Then we have game day. We practice. There's a lot of time devoted there for a reason. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 5. Here it is. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 says this. On this topic, we, the authors of the book, have much to say. And it's difficult to explain since you have become, watch out, sorry, just (laughs) clip in right now because the author gets aggressive really quick. And so don't take it personal. Just let's journey through this together. Since you have become sluggish in hearing. For though you should in fact be teachers by this time, you need someone to teach you the beginning elements of God's utterances. You've gone back to needing milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced in the message of righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, whose perceptions are trained by, say it with me, practice to discern both good and evil. Wow. First, what's the context? Remember, the author here assumes a lot about the audience, that they come from a Jewish background. They're Jewish Christians. They come from this devout Jewish background. They would have known a lot about the law and the Old Testament scripture. They've had great Jewish Christian teachers in their midst, the leaders of the early church. Maybe Peter came and spoke to them. Apollos, Paul, James, Timothy. They had these great teachings. For some time, they had quality teaching. And so you have to note the tense. If you're here today and you're thinking, oh man, I'm gonna get roasted, and I'm just like, I'm coming back to faith this week, hang tight. Because in this context, they're talking to someone who's had years of training in good teaching. And that's what it says. If we go back one slide, you have gone back, right there at the end of verse 12, you have gone back. The tense is important. You've become after some previous state of being something else. So it's, it's not a shot at all believers everywhere, young and old, new and seasoned. In fact, this verse tends to figure after those who are a little bit more mature. The author says, you should be teaching others by now. Wow, what does that mean? How do we get there? How do we know if we're mature enough? I once heard a missionary pose the following question. Um, what do you do? When you're in a foreign missionary field and you got an underground church, maybe like in China or Afghanistan or Iran or Bangladesh, and you have this, 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 these cells of 
of new believers gathering, congregating in, in secret, in private, in small numbers, but they're starting to gather. And man, some of this stuff is starting to explode. And, and it's amazing to see if you're one of the leaders of that place, man, you're, you're, you're faced with a, a crisis. You have a leadership shortage. What do you do, the missionary asked to us, the American Western Church living today here and now in this room. What do you do when you got one believer who's read one book of the Bible and you got another new believer who's read nothing at all? Who is qualified to be the teacher? Yeah, the person who's just read even one gospel book of the Bible. You put them in the game. You put them in. You put them in to practice. If you're a day one believer, you're new to faith, you're coming back to church, it's okay. You can practice too. This message is for you. That's the application of that story. A great majority of us in this room, we fall into this camp. We've been doing this for some time. And we count ourselves as, as quite mature. Okay, awesome. Are you still teaching? Are you still leading at the level where you ought the author says, are you practicing? Are you still practicing? So whether you're new or old, it's safe. There's a place for you to practice. You know, this passage is thrown around a lot. Solid food. Man, you know what? I'm, 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 I need to leave this church and find a church that's, uh, you know, got more meat. You know, they just, they're giving me a little bit more meat. I need a man food, okay? And all it is is the baby food over there, and that's why I had to leave. You know what? I just want to say really quickly, the, the type of people we're interested in becoming at this local church, there's 55 great churches in Costa Mesa, just in Costa Mesa, wonderful churches. We love them, and we know most of them. At this local church, the type of person that we're interested in becoming is the type of person who can learn and gather and get something from every single type of message, Okay, because the word of God was open today and my eyes and my ears were open to receive whatever it is the Holy Spirit wanted to teach me. That's the type of, of Christian we're looking to form. You know, the word disciple means student after all. We are committed to that at this local church to raise up believers who are, who are never done being students. And, and students know that they ought to practice. But what is the food? What is this food? And what is the result of the food? Actually, that question, the result of the food is really clear. It's right there in verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 uses this kind of churchy, kind of intense word, righteousness. If you feel the weight of that, it's okay. You're not alone. What does that mean, though? And I did a little Greek uh, study on that word, and you all can do the same thing using BibleHub.com. Okay, got a shout out to the sponsors. This message is brought to you today by BibleHub.com, where you too can, can unpack the original Greek and Hebrew of the scripture. Amazing. And we encourage you to do so, to feed yourself. Because leaders come and go. Myself, I don't know what God has, you know, for me in this life. But leaders come and go, so, so we want to raise up students, disciples who can feed themselves. And this Greek word, righteousness, just means um, right from wrong. Can you tell the difference between right and wrong? And then it gets hit again. The author is telling you this is the, the product of food. This is the product of maturity. The fruit of maturity is you can tell right from wrong, righteousness. And then he says it again in the very next verse. They're, they're trained by what? By practice to discern both good and evil. It's like a repetition. The author really is meaning something here. The, the product of maturity is knowing right and wrong, knowing good and evil. But what is the food, Ben? It's great to know that what it produces, 
But still, what is the food that makes us mature? What about this endless debate, baby food versus meat? Practice. The answer is practice. That's the food. We've been running around all day long. It's just scripture, 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 scripture. And that's great. And that's important. And nothing comes close to challenging scripture and to how powerful it is to change the heart and the mind of of a new believer. Nothing comes close. It's wonderful. But I'm looking for it because that's what people say. I need solid food, which is defined only ever as scripture. And a Bible teaching wasn't right. Do you, can anyone help me? Can you find it there in verse 14 as you look at the screen? Where does it say? And solid food is only ever scripture and the word of God and more Bible memorization. Do you see it there in verse 14? What do you see? But solid food is for the mature whose perceptions are trained by practice. By practice. Practice is perfect. Practice is perfect. So I'll tell you, um, part of those nine babies that God has blessed me and my wife with is a pair of three-year-olds. God bless us all. These three nagers, okay? It's amazing to see them in action. Amazing. And yesterday I had Wesley, who's one of those three-year-olds, and she's being trained by practice by her older sister at unloading the dishwasher, and she's getting into it with her sister. Just kind of nasty, to be honest. Slapping away her hand and talking back to her and getting sassy and yelling at her. And I just pull her aside and I just to take a second, a teaching moment, to say, hey, Wes, um, honey, you know what you're doing is wrong, right? You know that's not the way to talk to your sister and treat your sister. You know that, right? You know right and wrong. Wesley, could you just do what's right? I know, believe it or not, that was my instruction as a parent to a three-year-old. You should just do what's right, dad. Okay. (laughs) Does my three-year-old know right and wrong? Does she know right and wrong? Go ahead, you can participate. Does she know right and wrong? Some people are saying yes, some people are saying no. You're both right. Yes and no. Does she know it's wrong to whack her brother and sister upside the face? Yeah, yeah, she does. She does. Even in her little three-year-old heart, she knows. But goodness, does she have so much more to learn because that knowledge has not become practice. It has not become a, a, a mental pathway. That's what a habit is, right? A mental pathway, a lane. Picture a lane where there's no obstacle or barrier. It just is automatic. It's an open lane, an open highway in the mind to just do it. She's far from it. And that's what a habit is, right? It's, it's unconscious. It's just like driving the car. You don't need assistance to, 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 to brake or to hit the gas. I mean, yes, your mind's communicating with your body, but you don't need a handout to do that. It's automatic. The three-year-old has not figured that out. You know who else has not figured that out? The 30-something, or maybe the 40-something, or the 50-something, or the 20-something, or the 60-something. In this room, you guys, we're right there with them. We have not become automatic in the ways of the Lord. And that's what the verse says, and that's what the word means. Ben, are you, are you reading into it too much by saying it's habit and uh, that it's some kind of psychology? No. That word practice, again, I looked it up in the Greek. It's the Greek word hexis, which means habit. That's what it means, habit. It becomes so basic, it's almost assumed. Has anyone arrived there? If you have, I want to talk to you after service. No one on this side of heaven has arrived there where the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, have become so complete, I just do them automatically, Ben. So far in my life, I haven't met someone 
So it's a, it's a wonderful verse for us to realize we're never done being students who practice, 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 practice. And in fact, I wanted to learn more about how the psychology meets scripture and vice versa. What does the neuroscience have to say about this? And then I just got lucky. My wife and I both started this class. It's a six-week course led by one of our very own at Watermark. His name is Mark Rogers. And he decided to devote his whole life in a single focus in the last 15 years to answering one question. How do we as believers really mature? How do we grow? How do we change? And so he put the neuroscience alongside Scripture and wanted to find out, can we prove, can we show like physiologically, how people change and grow. And so he, he put the science alongside the scripture. I mean, for example, Romans 12. We must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Can you map that out physiologically? And by the way, that's why we're here. That's what we're here for. That's, why, that's what preaching, gathering for a, to even listen to a sermon is about in our mind at this local church. It's not just knowledge transfer. Me and Bucky and the other teaching team members or guests who come to teach here our, our core belief is not that teaching is for information transfer. You can read a book. You can listen to a podcast. But we believe something happens here where actually you can be transformed by preaching the word of God. That's our hope and our prayer of why we even do this. So you should just, again, know that as an extra. But what Mark found out was so incredible. You want to know what one of his major discoveries, just one of those major discoveries was? You know what I'm going to say practice. Practice. You can see it on the screen. What does it say? That's not science. It's scripture trained by practice. So we can practice those fruits of the Spirit, as I said. We can practice serving and giving and reading and praying and fellowshipping, meaning gathering in Christian community to spur one another on. And so when you hear us, I just want to make sure this forms our theology, our knowledge of God. When you hear next Sunday and someone comes up here and they're praying over the offering and they're praying over the city and they talk about giving or they talk about generosity, what are you going to hear? You're going to hear, no, the church doesn't, uh, uh, in an unhealthy way, in a religious way, want to take my dollars and, and they're not strong-arming me and they're not, they're not promising some kind of automatic favor from God because I give. What are you going to hear when we talk about generosity and giving? just like serving or reading or joining, you're going to hear practice. That's what you're going to hear. That's the whole point, is that we practice trusting God with our precious things. Does the three-year-old, when the three-year-old gets a new shiny thing, do they, do they freely give it away? Christmas rolls around next day. I, you know what? Blessed to be a blessing. Just want to pay it forward. Is that what the three-year-old does? No, no. Have I, as the 30-something, learned how to do that? Yeah, I just, I get it, and then it's just get, got to be given. <laughs> no, I need to practice, y'all. I need to practice. We need to practice, and we need to fail. Can I just say that really quick? Yeah, we need to fail. Guys, if we don't, as, as Christian people, as believers, if we don't have such a high operating definition of failure in our daily practice, we've missed it. We've missed what Scripture said. We missed what gathering at church for the last 20, 30 years is all about. We, we missed what God was about. We missed it, man. Because that's how you learn and grow is to fall on your face. Absolutely. There are shortcuts. 
for sure. But you won't be creating that mental pathway, that, that roadblock-free kind of automatic response to doing the will of the Father. You won't have it if you take the shortcuts. And that's what we want, right? Lord, give me a handout. <laughs> just, just intervene so I can have it automatically. No, part of the work of practice is failure, and we got to give that to each other, okay? So that's, that's what practice is all about. I love the metaphor. I love the last picture. One author talks about uh, abolishing this practice makes perfect worldview. And the author talks about um, the concert pianist or the concert violinist or, 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 or the pro athlete. You ever listen to a pro athlete? Are they ever done practicing? Do they just arrive one day and they're like, yep, got it? No, they're at the free throw line. They're just, they're just got the sheet music out and they're just like pouring over it. They're never done. Why? Because practice is the destination. Practice is the journey. What did Jesus say? Oh, Ben, that's just, that's great self-motivational talk. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? When he was asked, how should we pray? What did he say? Give us this day, one day, our daily bread. We have today. We're not meant to focus on these outcomes, you guys. Goals are wonderful. They're beautiful. We have every one of our staff, and, and we're training around goals. It's great. But if we miss the, the forest through the trees, if we miss the journey of practice, we're going to be constantly hung up and just destroyed by outcomes. We think that's what it's all about is just arriving. There is no arrival. Or if there is, it's practice. Practice is perfect. You, you are right where you're supposed to be. And for whatever that is for you, fill in the blank of those fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Maybe for you it's peace. Maybe for you it's peace. Are you practicing peace by fixing your mind on non-anxious things? <laughs> Guys, what? What? And I understand there's a very chemical, biological thing at play here when we talk about anxiety or depression or worry. I understand that and I appreciate that and I agree. But if you're, if you're trying to do that battle and your mind's still fixed on all the things that keep you anxious, may I recommend a tweak in your practice? <laughs> a course correction in your practice, in your repetitions? Maybe for you it's joy. Maybe for you it's serving and you're new and I can't, I'm not worthy. And someone asked that question in first service. What happens when I just have that voice in my head? I'm not worthy. If you got the Holy Spirit, you're worthy. If you've said yes to Jesus, you're worthy. That's a qualification that we cannot underrate, you guys. That you got the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living in you, you're, you're worthy. You're qualified. So, so important to understand that. We're going to move into chapter 6 really briefly, and then I want to open it up for questions. So if you haven't done that already, you want to pose a question about anything, you can get your phones open, watermarkoc.com slash questions, totally anonymous, and, uh, or just get in your heart ready what you want to share with us over the microphone. But we're going to go into, into chapter 6. As we talk about what, what is practice, what should we be practicing around? What should be assumed? What should be basic for us? The author goes on. Check this out. It, it, the author tells us what is, what is not basic, assumed, and what is, okay? And this is what he says. Therefore, we must progress beyond the elementary instructions about Christ. That's what's basic, okay? That's what he's saying. Elementary instructions, basic. About Christ and move on to maturity. Not laying, so what is it not? What are the, what, what, if we want to find out what's basic, what is it not? It's not laying this foundation again, that is, repentance from dead works, 
That's what's not. Dead works. That's what it's not. Dead works. But what is it? It's repentance and faith in God, teaching about baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. This is what we intend to do if God permits. These are the basic instructions that we should hold to and know about and practice. So when we look at this, because this is really, really important that we get this, that we understand, we have a working definition. What, are, what, what is it not and what is it? These things we practice about and practice around. First, what is it not? I love this. It's not dead works. I love, 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 love that the author starts there. It is not dead works. Why do I love that so much? Well, because I think we have this false perception that as we get more spiritually mature, we do more spiritual stuff. (laughs) Oh, I can spot that super Christian because look at all the stuff they're doing. Look at them. All the stuff that they're doing. They're spiritually mature because they're generating a lot of stuff. That's a misconception, guys. You know what we call that? That's actually religion. That's dead works. What Jesus set us up for, why Jesus came, why he saved us is for relationship, not religion, which is defined by dead works. Dead works. That's what it's not about. I went to the Greek on that. I wanted to know what does he mean by work? It's ergon. This Greek word ergon, it means non-life-giving works. Wow. Is that a powerful image? Non-life-giving works. So that's what it's not. (laughs) We are not devoted in our maturity and our practice to dead works. We don't just do the stuff to show off and to be the guy and to prove something to God. He's not interested. Uh, Newsflash, not interested. (laughs) He's not interested in the stuff, the generating of stuff. So that's what it's not. Okay, what is it then? The author goes in. He says repentance. Okay, again, some of you guys who are newer are like repentance. That's an ugly word, Ben. Four-letter word, repentance. The original Greek is metanoia. It means a change of mind. Is that beautiful? So good. That we have a change of mind. Is that something you could daily practice? Oh, yeah. I got to practice it morning, noon, and night, you guys. I got to change my mind around the the little kids that are coming to me in the morning and they're taken away from my me time. I got to change my mind around the fact that each one of those kids is an invitation from a living God to meet him and know him and learn something more about him. I got to change my mind morning, noon, and night. What is it for you? That's daily we can practice that. Faith. Well, surely, Ben, what practice is, is there of that? Just when I have a crisis and just when God's calling me to take a leap of faith, then I need to practice faith when he just puts me in extreme situations? No. That's a good start, but that's not it. The Greek word for faith is pistis. Yes, I know it sounds aggressive. That's how you pronounce it. It's a Greek word, pistis. And uh, it means, as much as it means persuasion or belief, it means allegiance. Say allegiance. Allegiance. Whoa. I'll just speak for myself because I don't know what's going on in your heart. But I know that my growth towards maturity means I break the heartstrings that are constantly connected to this world and the shiny things of this world, and those strings get more and more attached to God. They get more and more attached to the Father, trusting Him, believing Him, looking to Him for all that I am and all that I have. Allegiance. How are you doing in your growing allegiance to the King who's seated at the, seated at the right hand of the Father right now? That's something we can practice every day. Baptism. 
We know it. We can practice it. The laying on of hands. Really quick. This is really cool. Maybe you came from a church tradition and that was common language. Well, we laid on hands. We laid on hands. Just lay on hands. It actually means many different things. It was used in the New Testament scripture in many different ways. It was used for ordination. So, quick example, in January, when Bucky passed the leadership baton uh, to me uh, for the lead pastor role, we had Jerry, who's a church father and mentor to us, and he was there, and he was laying on hands for my ordination as, as one of the pastors here at this church. It's the regular practice of discernment, laying on hands. We, we, we regularly practice discernment. So, by way of example, I have a meeting with someone, they come in, one of you, I'd love to sit with you. And I, had, I sat with a young mom just last week, beautiful, her heart is so beautiful for doing the works of the ministry. And yet I want to pray with her before she leaves or pray with you before you leave. I hope that I've laid on hands so we can pray for discernment for God's will and, and, the, and the patience and grace and faith to do God's will. And finally, it also does very much mean when we lay on hands that someone would receive the gifts of grace. That's a very particular term, gifts of grace. That's what the word charisma means. Ever heard that term, a charismatic church? Charisma actually just means Grace. And so we pray that someone's gifts of grace would be released, whether it be leadership or service or wisdom or, or discerning of spirits, discerning of personalities, or for prophetic blessing and encouragement. We pray that your gifts would be released, and we lay on hands for that to happen. Resurrection, yes, certainly once for all in Jesus, and then second for all in the day when Jesus comes again, and all, all believers and unbelievers are resurrected to their fate. But you know what else resurrection means? It's just a plain term. To, to rise up, to stand up again. Paul said that each one of us has resurrection power inside of us. Sometimes he's just calling us to stand up again when we get knocked down in failure and practice, that we can stand up because, guys, we're not fighting alone. We're not just swinging in the dark. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit, which qualifies us, even in the face of failure and practice. And then finally, judgment, really quickly. Um, we all read judgment. Again, hyper-religious word, very spiritual word. But we studied it recently. It's krino. It's the Greek word krino, which is good judgment, bad judgment. And so even Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 6, what did he say? Judge not, lest ye be judged. The same measure you use to judge somebody will be used against you. And so what Jesus is saying, yeah, beware of judgment. He doesn't say don't ever do it. He actually says exercise good crino, good judgment. Can you practice that every day? Come on, guys. Come on. Dude, who needs to practice? <laughs> some of y'all are making some life decisions, okay? It is not the best. It's not the best for your life. We need to exercise good judgment when it comes to major life decisions. Good judgment, you can practice that every day. I'm going to wind down like this, okay? We have this, uh, there's this urgency. I'm skipping all the way down for time, and so we can get your questions in. But it says this here in the last few verses of, of uh, 1 through 12, right here. We are passionately, we passionately want each of you to demonstrate the same eagerness for the fulfillment of, of your hope until the very end so that you may not be sluggish. Remember that word again from the beginning? So you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and perseverance inherit the promises. All right, Ben, so, so what, Ben? So we're supposed to practice. I gave you a little bit of, of the what do we practice, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Some, some of the practical ministry purposes, giving, serving, leading, teaching, facilitating, 
Fellowshipping, joining a group. That's how we practice. Gave you the what? Gave, there's the fruit of it. We, we grow in righteousness and understanding what's right, wrong, evil, good. So what as a result of this message? Let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Let the Holy Spirit be your guide. There's this verse right before this one that talks about backsliding. When people lose faith, remember I said that in the very beginning, people lose faith every day. Maybe you feel like you're struggling and battling, just you're whole, hanging on by a thread, your faith. And there's this term, uh, parapipto, parapipto, which means the falling away of faith. The author uses that word, to fall away, to fall away. You know what, there's another origin of that word, para, parakletos. Parakletos is the word for Holy Spirit, Parakletos, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God beside us, to fall beside us. Instead of the falling away, the falling beside us. The encouragement, you guys, to every single one of you, if you're trying to practice whatever it is that's yours to be done, this day, this one day, I just want to remind you, let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Let the Holy Spirit be your guide. When you think you're alone, when you think he's not there, he's left you, you most of us feel when we backslide, it's, it's him, it's God who's falling away. But it's not. He's right there. The gift to every believer is the Holy Spirit. He's right there beside you. Parakletos, para, beside. Jesus, he, he often preached using what? Parables. He would lay beside. He'd take the story and lay it beside the mind and the heart of listener. He's always beside us with his word and in his presence. So don't be disheartened when you struggle and you face failure. The next point to end, and I'm going to invite Bucky up here, and I want, we're going to take your questions, is this. Um, there's no way, there's no way to move from sluggishness to eagerness and passion without addressing the busyness issue in our lives today. In my opinion, in the most plain I don't even have to use spiritual terms. In the most plain terms imaginable, I believe that the primary conflict and damage and trial facing the church and the kingdom of God today is busyness. We just don't have the time. We just don't have the space. We just don't have the margin to get up and serve that person or to use our hours for the kingdom or to love that person or to have the peace or the joy. Guys, technology is wonderful and is a great tool. The tool that we're supposed to master really quick. We don't, we don't become mastered by it. But because of technological tools, we have effectively eliminated downtime. <laughs> There's no more downtime. You say, well, Ben, I still have to sit in my car. Man, Ben, I still have to wait in line. Yeah, with a smart device right in front of your face. We've eliminated downtime. It's the time that God wanted to use to let our hearts be broken for the needs of the world, you guys. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. This maturity is not just for our own sake. It's so that we can be broken for the world, broken for the city that is perishing without us active participants in its redemption. And so the plague and the chronic illness of busyness is a thing that must be moved in order for us to practice anything at all. If you want to move from sluggish, if you're feeling sluggish in your personal faith or your maturity, and you want, to, you want to fire start that, you want to ignite that, you want that passion and eagerness that the author talks about, you've got to make the time. 
The time does have to come from somewhere. Not my judgment or my criticism, anyone in this room. I've only tried to learn this myself of how the Holy Spirit's convicted me to stop rushing everywhere, to stop booking meetings right on top of each other, and to stop hurrying and therefore missing the person in front of me that needed to have their beauty reflected to them. I've only just tried to figure this out in the last two, three years. It's new to me, but we could do it together. We could spur one another on to these good deeds and to this maturity found only through practice. But we need Christian fellowship to do it. And we need your questions right now to encourage one another right now. How do we spur one another on to these good deeds? We need to do it in fellowship. And we do it in the safe place of asking questions. And so right now, just make sure that you, that you, that you raise your hand. We're going to jump right into it. No foolish question. There's no dumb question. They're all really, really good questions. And I want you guys to either raise your hand and Patrick's going to find you. Um, or... You can go online, watermarkoc.com slash questions. We're going to give you a second because I know it takes some time. But then once we get going, we'll have to cut it off because it's so much fun. Here you go, Bucky. So if I get this right, what you're asking for is as we renew our mind, how does that give us discernment to see good and evil and make good decisions? Is that what you're... Yeah, well, I think that um, obviously Scripture gives us a vision, right, for a life that is not controlled by evil. So if Scripture gives us a vision of becoming like Christ and living in the world like Christ, and it gives us a heavenly vision of what a community, what a marriage, what a relationship, what life looks like under the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, where there is no evil in it, then as we see that vision, as we renew our minds in that vision, and then we live that vision out, we'll, we'll see the difference, right? We'll see the difference. We'll see where there's darkness, and we'll see there, where there's light, and we'll move at that darkness with light. And when we, when we go into a homeless situation and we bring light, and there's darkness in that situation, right? And we bring the light of God's love, his truth, his resources. We share those things. What happens to darkness? It has to flee, right? Because darkness and light are not equal, right? When, when light comes, darkness is expelled, right? So when, if we are the light and we're filled with the Spirit and the Word of God and we move into that place of darkness, that darkness is going to have to flee. And we're going to see the discernment. We're going to have the discernment through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to know the difference between good and evil and what is right and wrong to do there. Uh, other questions? Good question, Mansa. No, 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 no. I don't think I'm a confident king, but I, I, like you, I need help. And part of the discernment is the wisdom of the faith community around you, right? Those that have gone before you, right? Hebrews says, let's join those that have gone before us, right? Who, uh, you know, the, the commentary that you refer to, sir, that's an amazing ancient commentary, I would say. That's a, that's a great legacy commentary. But then what are more commentaries in, in today's world that might help us to apply God's word to what's happening in our current environment. There's lots of great things. Um, ben and I use a guy named Warren Worsby. I would encourage you to look up Warren Worsby, and his commentaries on the uh, New Testament and Old Testament are awesome. Um, obviously, I like uh, pastors that write commentaries because they're preachers, and I'm a preacher, so I want to I jump into what they've got going. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, and he's written some great stuff uh, that's very good. One of my favorite guys out of New York uh, who's written a, a commentary in the book of Romans and other commentaries and contributive, his name is Tim Keller, Timothy Keller. Anybody heard of him? Redeemer Presbyterian New York. Amazing uh, a guy that will give you some great stuff 
in terms of what's, how do we apply God's word and interpret God's word and apply it to what's going on in the world today. And uh, there's, a, there's a Bible study platform called Logo, Logos, Logos, and uh, that's, you can get a free download of Logos if you go onto the website, and they have so many resources available to you. Then you can get into scholarly commentaries, critical commentaries, guys that are really working with the original language like Ben's talking about and doing really, really heady work. And I like to look at those two for the language stuff, and then I looked, like to look at the pastoral commentaries for more of the application stuff. So Logos is a great wealth of resources to find great commentaries. L-O-G-O-S, Logos, it's, the, it's John 1, the word. It's, it's a Greek word. Yeah. Other questions? Well, I, I find that we have to be careful in the world that we live in of sound bites and media. Uh, the stereotypes that I find when I watch cable news or when I look at movies that are produced or when I get stuff from the media, those stereotypes really don't set me up well to love my neighbor. <laughs> I think you have to throw those stereotypes away and you have to build a bridge of relationship and you have to spend time with people. And so it, it, when, I, when I get with someone that has another faith system or comes from another set of beliefs, I think the greatest thing we can do is respect them and honor them and find out about their story. Ask them questions. I mean, Jesus was great at asking questions, right? Before he gave answers, he asked questions. He got to know people. He served people. I think the greatest thing that keeps judgment out of our heart is that I'm called to love and serve regardless of what anybody believes, and I'm called to honor them because they have the dignity of an image bearer in God, and Jesus gave his life for that person. And so if I can see them through the eyes of Christ and, and, and go and try to build a bridge of relationship, who knows what God can do with that conversation and that possibility? Uh, but it takes humility, you know, being willing to, uh, you know, put a guard on my mouth and open my heart and listen and uh, respect and honor the other person. That, that helps me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other questions? My cues of just briefly looking at this, and I haven't looked at the commentaries and spent a lot of time looking at this, is, is Jesus talking about his main message here to his Jewish audience, especially the, the religious leaders of the day, rejecting his message and talking about what John the Baptist inaugurated. The kingdom of heaven is now. John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet. Jesus is coming, and the kingdom of heaven has been available right now, right here. That's his message. Repent, believe the news, good news. The kingdom of heaven is now. It's available. It's, it's it is advancing forcefully. That's where that, you get that word there, um, uh, violence. It's, it's advancing. It's open. It's available. It's taking new ground. It's taking back territory from the evil one, the enemy. It's available. And Jesus is saying to the religious leaders, and you don't see it. <laughs> you don't get it. You're playing games with me, and you don't realize what's right in front of you. So that's what I'm getting in the overall context. Um, I'd have to drill down deeper in that verse, but I would, I would say that's what I'm seeing from... See, that's why you always look what, what's, what's before and what's after, and how does that verse fit in the overall story of Matthew? How does this passage, what is Jesus talking about? And that's when you can get drilled down and get to what's the exact meaning of what this one, for, one verse means or one word means. And I'd have to drill deeper, but hopefully that helps a little bit. Yeah. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.